All right, welcome into the third episode of the Mental Dimes Pocket Pass podcast, episode three. Corey Mullen, basketball savant right here. Isaac Coleman. Isaac, how we doing? We're doing all right, man. Corey, let's get into it. Let's get yes, into let's it. get into it, man. I was so excited for this slate of games. Last week when we talked, we talked about contract extensions. Um, obviously, people from 2019 had to sign by last Monday's deadline. Several people got signed. Several people didn't. But that's all in the past. The exciting, the exciting time starts. The games. Um, obviously, you had the first two games of you know Philly. You had Philly and Boston, and then you had I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was. Oh, okay. It was Philly and Boston, and then it was uh, the Lakers against the Warriors. The Warriors had their ring night. So it was all exciting time. But before we get into the site of games, um, we do have unfortunate news to report here. Um, referee Tony Brown um, last Thursday died of pancreatic cancer. Um, you know, it was, it was tough news around the NBA. Brown, of course, officiated over 1,100 games in almost two decades of being an NBA referee. Isaac, what's your reaction to that? Uh, not to mention the 2020 finals. Uh, he, was, mm-hmm. he was always uh, um, a fierce competitor on the floor. He was he, he, he would go toe-in-toe with the best of the athletes. He'd make a call. It was his call. Um, but uh, And he, he was real athletic for a ref. Those refs are real. But he, he got up and down quick with the quickest – in the, in the game never do it but it's real tough prayers go out to tony brown and his family yeah I, I agree with you there and a lot of players and coaches spoke highly of him uh lebron was always excited every time lebron tweeted out that he was always excited every time tony brown was refereeing a game because he always just loves just tony brown always had that smile so yeah tough news around the nba um had been dealing with pancreatic cancer diagnosed and April of 2021, so t- t- just just tough news all around. So prayers obviously go out to Tony Brown and his family. Um, the first team I wanted to talk about, um, and, and now look, I put dominant start because, you know, by the time we record, these teams could have played and they could have lost. So I'm prefacing by saying dominant start. The first team I want to talk about is the – um, NBA NBA Finals runner-up from last season, the Boston Celtics, off to a really good start, three three and zero at the time of this recording. Um, are you surprised at how well the Celtics are performing in the midst of obviously everything that's been going on with Ime Udoka and all the stuff surrounding the organization? Um, now I'm not really surprised at how the Celtics are performing. I say that because. This is relatively the same core, the same roster. So they had some outside noise with their coach. But um, Joe Mazzula, he's inside the organization. So he implants just little tweaks and gadgets into the system and how it works for the new guys like Malcolm Brogdon, bringing him off the bench and how that stuff will work. But no, um, um, game one, last, last Tuesday night, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown were the first Boston Celtic teammates to 
scored 35 in a season opener. So with that being said, and I'm looking at Tatum's stats right now for three games in the in a regular season, he has 34, well, 35 points per game, 59% shooting, eight rebounds, three assists. So he's playing right there at his all pro level, at his all NBA level. So the the sky's the limit when Jason Taylor's playing this way and Jalen Brown's being his complimentary two piece. Yeah, and I'm looking at and like I'm also looking at these stats. Yeah, 35 and kind of looking at this game that wasn't, I mean, really outside of like, well, I guess never mind. I guess Malcolm Brogdon and Grant Williams did pitch in. Um, Malcolm had 16 and Grant Williams had 15. But yeah, I'm not surprised either. Um, look, I had and, and again, that this kind of shocked you a little bit. Um, I did have Joe Mazzaro as the coach of the year because I just think that um, whether it was I mean Doka coaching or it was Joe Mazzula, I just think that this Celtics team, um, obviously the same core. I just I just didn't think it didn't matter who coached because I think they would have came out and kind of played the same, um, kind of played as the same way as they did last season. Um, we know how good Jason Tatum is. We know how good Jalen Brown is. Um, and look, even 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 against Miami, like they look, they still looked really good against Miami, right? Especially in South Beach, like it was. Um, I don't I don't even think that game was like relatively close. Obviously, the Celtics ended up winning that game, one eleven to one hundred four, but. You know, it, it was just one of those things where, um, despite the fact that Boston doesn't have Robert Williams or Daniil Garinari, um, like they're still they still have like the same bench and they still have great rotational pieces. Yeah, but Boston's going to be Boston's going to be, if not the top seed, they're going to be one of the top seeds in the East. They're going to be a force to reckon with as long as they can stay healthy and and continue on this path because they're hungry. They want to get back to where they were last year. The only concern I have for Boston, and I thought about this as I was watching the game against the 76ers, I'm really concerned about their backup center situation. Um, You know, they have, you know, okay, so like they got, so Al Horford's obviously starting at center, which, which, I mean, he, he's, really a power forward I'd say, but I think he can slide over a center. I think he's better at power forward, but their backup center being Noah Vonley, that gives me a little bit of concern because he didn't play in the NBA last season. I know he's played in the NBA before, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, especially um, once you get down to like the regular season and stuff, like how useful how well first how healthy can robert williams be and then like if you're going to keep robert if robert williams could stay healthy how useful will noah vonley be and will he um be on the roster kind of going into those you know march and april months the the thing is it's, it's still we're still in the first week yeah this, this uh this is this is a long this is a long season. We yes. got six months to do this. So we're gonna find out who's gonna play their way into the playoff rotation. Cause that's what they're doing right now. Does it solidify the starting five for the most part? Maybe two or three of those guys can get tweaked once Robert Williams gets back in. But um the starting five for the most part is solidified. So now you gotta figure out the next 
the next three after the six and seven. The next three out of six and seven, who's going to be coming off the bench? And who's going to work into your playoff rotation? So um, I don't. Well, I like what I've been seeing from Vonley. He he's very tenacious on the rebounding mm-hmm. efforts, uh, especially on the offensive glass. Um, he, he he play. He's aware on defense, so he can be a, a force, and he can get good minutes. It's just going to see how it all clicks when Robert Williams gets it back into play. And then it depends on the matchup, who they get into when it comes to playoff time, because they still got Blake Griffin there and he can put in good minutes. So it just depends on how the season goes. But I like what I can see seeing so far from this Boston team. They got a lot of depth. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of going back to Vonley's for a second, I, and I agree with you there is that, you know, they're still trying to figure out the rotations. Um, it, it, it was just, it was just one of those things where it's like you know if they decided to keep him for the playoffs you know guys like um you know a lot of teams in the east are like obviously a lot bigger um than than Boston especially like once you get to the Milwaukees the uh the Miamis and the uh, Philadelphias of the world then then that's where I'd be concerned because when I was watching Joel Embiid go up against Noah Vonley, like Joel Embiid just kind of had his way with them but um you know, that's – I'm not going to fault Noah Vonley too much for that because Joel Embiid has his way with almost everyone. Speaking of Joel Embiid, the 76ers at the time of recording are 0-3. Um, now, I'm not going to – now, those first two losses, th- those were tough losses, but they were against a good team. So, obviously, they dropped the first game against the Philadelphia, the second game against Milwaukee. And then dropped a really surprising one against San Antonio. Um, how concerned are you with these 76ers 0-3 start? The 0-3 start, um, it's not really concerning because um, it's just these guys are – I'd rather that these guys – because this is my team come out the East. I'd rather that these guys come and – figure it out now than mid-season and they don't they still don't have an identity. Um right now these guys live right now these guys are up 14 against Indian Indiana. Yep. James in Philly, James Harden has 24 and 10 and nine rebounds. So um the first two games it was 34 from James Harden and I think another 30 piece from James Harden and B wasn't a factor then Sunday's game against San Antonio, um, Joel Embiid goes for 40, and James Harden shoots four for 18. So those two have to figure it out, and Maxi has to be a factor when both of these guys figure it out. So those three have to be the glue that keeps this team going. Um, Tobias Harris, he needs to come in and hit at the – right moments so they just need to play their their teammates to um to play their roles and it's 82 games we gotta figure it out uh it's not so concerning starting 0 three um but yeah you you definitely want to figure this out within the first couple weeks within that first month because um you can get three games right now but you don't want to be three four or five games back uh seeding come January, February. Yeah, and I was watching that game against Milwaukee, and um, it was one of those things. So I, so I was on 
So I watched the TNT halftime show, and they were talking about the difference between when Giannis has the ball and when Joel, Joel Embiid has the ball. Um, they called those two traffic cops. So they said when Giannis has the ball, the defense shifts and moves, and you know he can make the pass to the three-point line. When Joel Embiid has the ball, it's just everybody stops because they know he's going to like force up a, you know, a, a contested jumper. Um, I, I I do think Joel Embiid is obviously a per, proverbial MVP candidate, but for me, it's sometimes one of those things where it's like he sometimes it feels like he plays like he did three years ago. Where it's like he, you know, he's so dominant, but it feels like sometimes he just bails out like the other team by taking contested jumpers, and we know he can make them. But it's just one of those things sometimes where they're not falling in. It it, it feels like he's bailing out the other team versus like, um, kind of being like a a shack type of player where it's like he just he's like, give me the ball, get out of my way. I'm getting two points right here. Yeah, for for some reason, when it gets down to it, if in well, before I get into that, if in B wanted to get into the block and destroy his opponents, um, a la Shaq or Hakeem, or those guys in the nineties, um, he could. But I don't understand why he does it. Um, mm. I, I don't know what's got into the big man with the flash he plays. Cause I've seen a few possessions of MB gets the ball at the top of the post. Um, maybe a couple snatch back jab step dribbles and he's shooting. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. We're in the pick and roll, getting to the block and dominate. So if, if he can do that, tap into that, the way that Giannis does it, cause Giannis, Giannis will come down the court He'll pick apart his defense, pick which side of the court he want to go, who he wants to exploit. He's going to exploit you. And if he wants to step back and make it and shoot a jumper, it's not because you forced him to do it, because that's what he wanted to do. So once Embiid gets that mindset that nobody else on the court can stop him, then Philly will be a problem. Yeah, because I think the one part I was concerned about, especially in last week's game, was like, um, like who was going to guard Embiid after Brooke Lopez? Because it looked like Brooke Lopez dominated Joel Embiid defensively. Um, you, you know, because those weren't good numbers for Joel Embiid. They were like 6 of 20 for like 15 points. So um, from that standpoint, he didn't have a good game against, especially going up against Brooke Lopez. But um, I think... Any NBA player, if you ask any NBA player, they ask how you attack a shot blocker, they say you just go right into his chest. Go go right into his chest. That, and that's what Joel Embiid should have done. He bailed him out. But also, um, what I'm kind of – be kind of interesting to see for the 76ers this season is uh, the role of Tyrese Maxey because it, it – because for me it feels like – um, like, how are they going to get Tyrese Maxey involved when James Harden it, – it feels like he goes from, like, wanting to be, like, a team player to, like, wanting to be a one-on-one player. Like, he – like, it goes, like, back and forth. So, what do you think the role should be for Tyrese Maxey? He has to be the third best player on the championship team. So, um, and I, I don't mean third best prayer if we're talking about Golden State – um, 
third best Draymond Green. No, no, no. I'm talking about the third best scoring option for that team. And I understand Tobias Harris is there, but he has to be that third best scoring option. He needs to be what he he needs to be what Marcus Saul was to the Raptors, or Pascal Siakam was to the Raptors. Um, he needs to be the that extra that that extra spark when needed. Um, like Jason Terry was to the Mavericks in 2011 or um, how Ray Allen came in, gave a spark. But those guys came on the bench. Tyrese Max is a starter. So he needs to be when Embiid isn't having a good day and Harden's getting doubled and you your team needs you to make a play, a momentum shift in play. You need to get open, knock down a three. He needs to be that guy. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting to me because you know you thought that you know you know how good Tyrese Maxey is, how underrated he is. But you thought like when they acquired uh, James Harden, you thought he would try to be off the ball more. But like he's like he has the ball in his hand more so than often. Kind of like going back to the Houston days, except a little different because um, it, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing because like. You know, before he wasn't in shape, you know, obviously dealing with the hamstring injuries the past two seasons. But now it's like now that he's slimmed down 30 pounds, now he's kind of reverting back to the James Harden in Houston. Um, So I don't know. To me, I would try to make Tyrese Maxey the lead guard and have James Harden play off the ball. But then Philly's offense works better when James Harden. I don't know. It's a. I, I don't understand what that offense is. And those people you mentioned were great spot-up shooters. But I think if you give Tyrese Maxey the ball in space, um, I think he could be like a, a solid player. But I, I think you're right. I think he's a second- or third-year player, so I think he's still trying to figure out what his role is on this team. Yeah, and it, it, it'll get there. It'll become more clear throughout the rest of the season once we see the um once we see the emergence of PJ Tucker more of a leadership role we'll we'll see everybody else playing the role the the last concern I have for Philly that that I just thought about um not getting a lot of production from their bench um and and I was wor- and that was and that was part of the reason why I was a little worried about Philly because I was looking up and down their roster and I'm like, all right, let's see who's coming off the bench, who could contribute. Um, you know, I know they got George's Niang and, you know, D'Anthony Melton and Shake Milton, but um, especially in the game against Milwaukee, I believe they had 13 bench points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so are you concerned at all about Philly's bench? No, I'm not concerned about the bench. The bench, these bench players, um, with exception of two or three guys, but these guys have been here. Shake Milton's been there. Uh, Thibault, he's been there. Um, um, so it's it's just they have to figure it out, and they'll the the shots will knock. They'll they'll start dropping. These guys, they weren't taking bad shots. They were taking good shots they were set up shots it just weren't falling so that those are fall philly just have to the leaders have to be ready to lead and get these guys 
be able to close out games. Yeah. Well, it's always, well like, we, like we said, it's the first week, you know, and like you said, they're up um, 14, you know, against a rebuilding Pacers team. So, you know, hopefully Philly can get back on track here. All right. Um, next topic. Should the NBA go after teams perceived to be tanking? The reason why I bring this up is because Adam Silver, I don't really think he's brought it up in the past, not as forcefully as he did this time. I think he brought it up because um, there's a there's a new and upcoming prospect uh, named uh, Victor Wantiyamba. Um, he's Fre- French center, 7'3", I think I have that right. Um, being lauded basically as an ex-LeBron James. Um, and Adam Silver came out and said, you know, we're really going to look hard at tanking, you know, with the playing tournament. Like, teams aren't going to be able to, um, you know, they're just – they're adjusting it. He They've talked about relegation where basically put up two G League teams, but he said that's unlikely to happen. So, um, what do you think the NBA should do about the teams – uh, proceed to be tanking. I mean, it's it's a, it's a weird notion. Perceived, right? Because um, I come from a world. I come from a world. I did nine years in the military. I come from a world where we always said perception is reality. But eighty five percent of the time, that may be the case. So the other fifteen percent of the time is like, all right, what is actually perceived here? You got to look at the depth perception of this. How can we perceive a team to be tanking? It, I, the Pacers, well, not really the Pacers. See, a lot of teams thought the Jazz would be one of those teams to perceive to be tanking. Now they're out here smoking teams. It, um, we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, and I was when when you sent me the topics, I was I was looking at this topic perceived to be tanking, and I, and I just couldn't get through my head how would silver and the nba be able to perceive these guys tanking because we, we we hear that that term a lot in nba and the nfl so like okay so would tanking be taking out your starting quarterback and starting this guy who's never played before indianapolis mm-hmm. so what or so would tanking for I don't know the Kings be to trade Demonte Sabonis to a contender or something? So how the the bigger question for me would be how would they pinpoint tanking and what should they do about it? I mean, well, what can you do about it? They need the draft pick. I mean, I you won't let them get it. You know what? You can still have the number one pick. You just won't be able to pick your one Vanyana or yeah. Scoop Henderson. So I don't I don't know. It's 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 tough because that's unprecedented waters which you get into because it it's gonna be proven at this point. Yeah. Taking for me, um, if I had to perceive and now granted the NBA hasn't really had hard cold hard evidence since uh, Mark Cuban went on um, the Dan Patrick show one time and was like, Oh yeah, we were for sure tanking. I think, I think for tanking and it's really, um, it's really hard to say that it's it's really hard to see this. Like the 76 is for an example, when they were doing the trust the process thing, like 
I think tanking is kind of described as like putting inferior talents on the floor. Um, especially with the 76ers when they stuck a bunch of basically G League players um on the floor. Um, you knew they weren't gonna win. You knew they weren't gonna win. Um, especially against better NBA competition. I'm not saying those players didn't deserve to be on the NBA floor. I'm just saying that when you stick a bunch of G League players in an NBA game, um, I I think that's when people can tell, all right, well, the Sixers aren't actually trying to win. And and I think another aside could be that if you have like a veteran team, for an example, and you just stick a bunch of rookies out there, I think for me – yeah, for sure. You're you're seeing what you got in the young guys, but at the same time, you're not actively trying to win games. Yeah. So, I, hmm, what should the NBA teams do? It's it's tough because you have to you have to set up a a standard, and now you have to make an example of whoever you perceive to be tanking. So now it, it's it, it's tough. You you have to you have to act quick, fierce and mm, forfeit the draft picks. That's that's the toughest thing you can do and it's going to be unprecedented and I don't know all the legal presumptions that they would be able to that that's just a ugly closet I don't know that Silver wants to get into mm. and it, it made me mad just just slightly because like I'm sure Adam Stern was talked about it but like this time this one felt different this was like okay we understand there's going to be tank for Wantiaba people out there but if it was like and again he's not you know he's not like from the states he's not going to like a division one college or anything if this was a if this was a draft pick from a division one college, say Duke or North Carolina, that was like really, really good. Um, do you think silver would, would be coming out and making these comments? Or do you think he's read the press clippings of this guy is a generational talent. He could be the next LeBron James. I think either way, I don't think it mattered that he's a G league talent or, um, or college talent. I think either way, Silver, if he was getting the buzz that Juan is getting right now, then I would think so. Because um, we we had s- similar buzz with Zion's prospect, but he but nothing quite as victors. So once again, he has to play Silver has to play this on a on very thin ice because. He has to set the new standard if he catches it. Yeah, and and you know, no one's thinking about the kid, but it's like I feel a little I feel a little bad for him because you know, lauding someone as like potentially like a generational talent, the next LeBron James, like I'm sure he can handle it, but at the same time, that is a lot of pressure to that's a lot of pressure to put on someone, um, lauding them as the next like LeBron James. Like I from that aspect, I'm like, whoa, whoa. I'm sure he's like really talented, but like at this moment in time, LeBron James is one of one. Um, I think one Bianca will be able to sketch his own name into the list of the greats because the the guy is versatile. He he he's um 
he he plays like Kevin Durant, and um, he he he's um, he he's a freak athlete, so he, he he's going to be special. So I think the buzz is just right for Wambayana, and um, it, I think he he's not worried about the pressure. I I, th- yeah. I, I he will definitely succeed in the spotlight. And one last question before we move on. Do you think Silver was taking a shot at, like, one of the teams? Um, or do you think he was just talking about everyone? Like, do you think he was t- taking a shot at OKC? Like, hey, we know you guys are stockpiling draft picks, but um, we we just basically want to let you know, like, this is not going to be as easy as you think it is. I don't know if he was taking a shot per se, but I think they're the team that heard it the loudest. OKC and probably Utah probably heard it the loudest. Yeah, just probably just probably him saying like, "Look, we we know you guys got um, although whew, can't can't even imagine that next year, Chet Holmgren and Victor Wanyama if that if that potentially happens, that's <laughs> quite two two huge building blocks right there." <laughs> All right, um, let's see. Isaac, seven stars, uh, came to, came back to play last week. Um, so let's see. Out of these seven guys who returned to the court, who impressed you the most? I'm going to read the list real quick. It was Damian Lillard, Jamal Murray, Zion Williamson, Ben Simmons, John Wall, Michael Porter Jr., and Kawhi Leonard. Like, who impressed you the most? There's going to be the guy who um, recently signed – two-year deal, uh, and that'll be Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard, 20 points in the season opener against Sacramento, 5-18. The guys won. He had eight dimes. 41 points against Phoenix in overtime, a two-point win. Another two-point win yesterday against the Lakers, 41 more points. So that gives Damian Lillard 34 points throughout the first three games. Um, Damian Lillard is on a mission and Portland's three and no right now. So granted, it's still it's still early. He's guys, he's he's got um he's got a click with his new guys, but mm-hmm. um Damian Lillard really is picking up where he left off. Those other guys, Zion's debut was nice, John Wall's debut was nice, uh Kawhi's solid. Those those other guys, their debut is solid. But this this guy, Damien, he, he's putting the league on notice that Dame time, the clock is back. The the clock is back on the wall and it's time. So it's it's great to see. It's, it's great for basketball for Damien to be performing the way he is. It's real quick before I get to my pick. I was impressed with the uh, mental warfare uh, Damien Lillard played with uh, DeAndre Ayton at the end of that game. Um, oh, yeah. If, if you missed it, um, DeAndre Ayton had two free throws. Uh, Damian Lillard um, revealed after the game they they said to DeAndre Ayton, at the free throw line, have you be- ever been in this position before? And DeAndre Ayton just clanked the first free throw. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was – now that, that was fighting me. That's some like – that was some Scotty Pippen, Carmel and stuff right there. That was, that was some good mental warfare that Damian Lillard played on him. Um, my pick, and I know you just mentioned him, was John Wall, 
because John Wall has been through a lot over the past few seasons, you know, dealing with like foot and ankle injuries and, you know, the 2019, 2020 year, uh, tearing his Achilles, but I'm not going to say he's the John Wall of Washington, but he's had, but he has his burst back. I was watching that game against the uh, Lakers. Now, let me tell you, they could not keep up with John Wall. He had that, he had that burst they had back in Kentucky and Washington. And, you know, he was pretty solid in Houston, but that burst that, that burst that he, he first had when he first came to the league, that's back. They cannot, they, none of their, none of the Lakers could keep up with John Wall. You know, 15 points, um, four rebounds, three assists. Like it was like just an all around great game there for John Wall off the bench. Yeah, I, I like to pick John Wall. And when he came off the bench, he um, he immediately got in the game and hit him a mid-range jumper, got to a spot, got to a sweet spot, had a really sweet, smooth stroke from mid-range. And you're right, he was lightning quick. He was just running around the court, um, really getting back to that burst. And, um, he, he, he won't be coming off the bench, same thing with Kawhi. They won't be coming off the bench the entire season. I'll give it maybe a couple more weeks, give it mid-November. And these guys will be right back into the starting lineup. And when that happens and Wall's getting 30-plus minutes, um, watch, watch. I grew up in D.C., so I, I know John Wall, and I'm a huge Wall fan. So watch Wall's pick-and-roll game. He's probably one of the better pick and roll point guards that he had in the league. So watch his pick and roll game and watch the way that he can control the half court tempo with his speed. He can get to the get to the cup and get to the line and get fouled and get those free throws. Set something up. Norman Powell, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Morris. So the oh my goodness, that team's going to be electric. John Wall definitely. I definitely saw a lot, and he has overcome a lot. So it was John Wall's a great pick. Yeah, and yeah, and I had a quick question about uh, John Wall. Um, was the was the relationship between the perceived bad blood between him and Bradley Beal was that a little overstated? Was that the media making up something? Or was that was there something there with that? Yeah, from 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 what it seems, from most Washingtonians. Uh, around that area, um, yeah, that that's just the media making that up. Brad Bill and John Wall, we wish they could end their careers together, playing in D.C. and possibly getting a chip, but you got to do what they got to do. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and like I said, I felt really bad for John Wall last year because you knew he wasn't hurt, but like Houston essentially was like, just stay at home. We're going we're gonna to keep you. We're basically just going to keep you until we can find a trade partner. But – they were never going to find a trade partner for John Wall because one, he was just way too expensive. They were, they were, he still had that. Um, because Houston took on the contract he had from Washington, and um, unfortunately, he wasn't going to be able to live up to that. And he was playing some pretty good basketball with Houston before they essentially asked him to um, stay at home so that they could find a trade partner. So, from that standpoint, I'm sure he he dealt with a lot uh, mentally, just not being able to play basketball when when he knows fully well that he's healthy. Yeah, and not to mention a bunch of other stuff that was going on for him. But it is great to see it for that man. And 
the Clippers, you got to watch out for them. It's, it's going to be a good finish to the top in the Western Conference. Uh, staying with the Clippers for a sec because, you know, I, we got to get to like a really – well, we're going to get to two performances at the end. I, I forgot to put it on the topic list, but we'll get to it because that stat line, the second stat line that I'm going to talk about is insane. But first we're going to get to um, Paul George bouncing back with a 40-point performance versus the Kings. I'm kind of sticking with that because I think a lot of people want to – put the, him and Kawhi Leonard into groups with like 1A, 1B. Um, I, I don't personally because I think that Paul George can get his and Kawhi Leonard can get his while they're both on the floor. So um, how do you think those roles are going to work out this year? I think they'll go back to where they were when they reached the conference finals together because um, they were just a Kawhi injury away from going to the finals and who knows how they would have matched up against Milwaukee. But um, the, these guys, the, the, the guys complement each other well, especially on opposite sides of the wing. And then you could pick and roll and hit either one and they, they can de- hit from three. They're both deadly from mid range and they can both finish with the best of them. So these guys are just going to gel well and having facilitators like Wall and Reggie Jackson, and also Terrence Mann in that guard rotation who will make sure these guys get the ball. I agree with you there. And Ty Lue has been saying, like, he's basically been saying, like, you know, Paul, you can go out, you can go out and get yours. Like, Paul George can go out and get his. And I, I think that's exactly what he did against the Kings. Um, granted, it is the Kings. So, um, although I was a little surprised um, that it was against the Kings, only because of the fact that, their new coach, Mike Brown, all he preaches about is defense. So um, I, I guess like allowing Paul George to score 40 isn't the worst person to do it because he's he's a guy that could score from anywhere on the floor. Yeah, so Sacramento, they, they still have to, a lot to worry to work out and you got to figure out where everybody lies in and they got to play their rookie into it. Keegan Murray, he we had a solid debut as well, but yeah. They'll be they'll be decent. I think Sacramento will be a play in team. Yeah, uh, yeah, I hope so. I think they're they're building something there with um, you know De'Aaron Fox and uh, Keegan Murray and uh, Kevin Herter and guys like that. So you know, building building a little young nucleus there in Sacramento um, and Sabonis as well. I think a lot of people were surprised when they traded uh, Tyrese Halberton for a Sabonis, but. Um, I, I reading it today, it felt like that they um, felt that Sabonis complimented De'Aaron Fox a little bit better than Halberton did. So um, hopefully Sacramento can finally get to the playoffs. At this point, we're, we're just waiting for Sacramento to be like, please get to the playoffs at some yeah. point. Some type of decent. Yeah. Um, last topic. You know, the other reason why I didn't bring this up is because I kind of realized it a, a little too late, but um, Giannis's performance against the Rockets, probably one of the most jaw-dropping stats I've ever seen. The fact that he scored 44 points in 28 minutes. So Giannis, when Giannis gets to that level, we've seen this level Giannis in the 2021 finals, especially in game five and the closing game in game six where he dropped 50. Um, 
when Giannis gets to this level, he's the most dominant player in the world. And when the Bucks have Giannis at that level, when they have those other supporting pieces doing what they need to do, when they need to do it, that is the most dangerous team in the league. doesn't matter which conference they are. If they can get that from Giannis and just ball, they don't need that regular season. You just need that for 16 games in the postseason. These guys will sweep through the postseason. Um, that is incredible. That's just he 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 it was a man amongst boys out there yeah and i was watching that game i was watching that you know if in case you guys didn't know us i'm a massive bucks fan um so i was watching that game on saturday and like and can't give credit to houston because like they are building a young nucleus there they have um jail green and kevin porter jr kj martin and uh guys like that um and, and jabari smith obviously they could they could not guard Giannis. Like they were all uh just they were all way too small. Um and compared to Giannis, like it looked like they needed to be in the weight room. Um and I can't believe I'm saying that to a bunch of NBA players because maybe I need to hit the weight room more, but I'm just saying compared to Giannis, um it's just it they were not they weren't gonna stop him. And Giannis will have performances like that where he'll drop like 45 in a game when teams are guarding him like single coverage. Um, it's hard for him to replicate that in the playoffs because teams like load the paint against him. Yeah. So it forces him to uh, – and this has been like a – really outside of the 2021 finals, this has been like a really good strategy for um, playoff teams who have gone up against Milwaukee – is to pack the paint and basically say to Milwaukee, beat us with your three-point shooting. And it and it's been terrible. The three-point shooting in the playoffs for Milwaukee has been terrible the past uh, few seasons, really outside the 2021 playoffs. Um, yeah, I think outside shooting should should be up. You you hopefully. You'll have Chris Middleton towards that time. Once again, this is just it's just fluid. It's overgrowing. But the Milwaukee Bucks feel like a force. Milwaukee and Boston look like they're talking to everybody else from a very high pedestal in the East. And that's included Miami. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you think it could be do you think it could be flipped where it's Miami or Brooklyn or just like it'd be like Milwaukee, like Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, and then uh, uh, Brooklyn kind of sliding in that fifth or sixth spot? Because um, I'm going to be honest, I was watching a pregame show the other day and uh, Stephen A. Smith has the Brooklyn Nets as the fourth best team in the East. Um. That, that might be that might be it when it's all said and done, because um, once again, it's just Ben Simmons being able to get it filled. He hasn't played almost in, in over a season and a half, so he, he just has to get his feel for it. And we haven't seen this team before strength. We haven't seen with Seth Curry and Joe Harris yet. So I definitely believe with Simmons – commanding the offense and just really just putting these guys in places where they can shoot the ball and, and run and shoot and score. 
and and really go up and down the court, then yeah, they could be the fourth best team. Well, will that account to a deep playoff run? We we don't know because this, this East is deep. Because if they're the fourth best team, then Miami's looking on the fifth, or Cleveland's looking on the fifth seed. So, and then neither one of those teams will be your easy outs. As you got anything else? No, sir. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Pocket Pass podcast episode three. Uh, We'll be back next Monday.